Supporting middle leaders in schools. Guiding the senior leadership of tomorrow. And developing your successful career in education. This is Edgecast from NAHT Edge. 13,000 plus followers on Twitter, a deputy head teacher at a primary school in Nottinghamshire and an assessment advisor for Rising Stars. Just a few of the noteworthy facets of our podcast guest this month, Michael Tidd. Michael will be here in barely three minutes. His personal blog has recently covered assessment, and it's on that subject that we'll hear from him. Our featured course is undeniably essential when it comes to the two thorny R words, recruitment and retention. Stay close and find out how to book on it. The news looks at all the key stories, including reception baseline tests and their abandonment, And we'll begin this episode with a top tip from the very person who'll be taking the course I alluded to just now. And this month it's on the recruitment and retention of staff. Course leader Sue Sales says, We all need to help to save the teaching profession. Middle leaders can make their contribution by supporting students in school, mentoring new teachers and talent spotting future leaders. Everyone can be involved in shaping a positive and successful recruitment and retention strategy within their own school. Our learners deserve the best teachers and leaders that we can grow. Every month, a new tip to further your career. Submit yours to events at nahtedge.org.uk. Now to our main guest, Michael Tidd. Amongst other things, he's the author of his own independent blog called Ramblings of a Teacher. I'm pleased to say we caught up with Michael recently to talk about assessments. And the first thing I asked him to do was summarise the major changes that have been brought in for the end of Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2 assessments this year. At Key Stage 1, there's a bank of new tests. So schools have been familiar with the 2007 and 2009 tests for some time. Um, they've got a completely new set of tests this year and will do again in forthcoming years. Um, and that includes a new grammar and punctuation test, which they've not had previously, and a new arithmetic test, uh, the written arithmetic for Key Stage 1. And then similarly at Key Stage 2, there's a new arithmetic test to replace the mental math paper. And in both cases, there's a really big change in expectations. Kind of, if you compare to the papers of previous years, a big step up in the kind of content that's covered. And then alongside the tests, there's been a very big shift in teacher assessment processes, particularly with the shift from the old best fit model of levels to the new secure fit model that, that goes with the interim teacher assessment framework this year. Writing assessment, uh, Michael, in particular, is is causing major issues for schools. Why is that? That's in part linked to the the shift from best fit to secure fit. So in the past, teachers have become very experienced in knowing where they are with levels and they can kind of slot children into the appropriate level very easily at the end of a key stage. Now the secure fit expectations means that we've got these long tick lists of things or checklists that we have to go through that um, you know, we've, we've seen the reports of a, a typical class teacher might be facing 1,800 judgments that they have to make for a group of children because you've got to very clearly provide evidence for every detail of those um, frameworks. And that, that means there's been a big shift from what was previously quite a holistic judgment in writing to one that's now very focused on specific elements of grammar and punctuation especially. So, for example, in Key Stage 2, ensuring that every child has demonstrated the use of dashes and hyphens or at key stage one ensuring that they've used a full range of sentences including the very odd exclamatory sentence clauses now that we have to have and that's obviously caused a massive workload for teachers who are already you know working very hard in year two and year six to tackle the burden there. So in your experience how are children responding to the far higher expectations now of the new assessments? 
I think inevitably children respond far less to the expectations of the assessments and far more to their teachers. So you know, teachers are having to, to manage that expectation. And I think particularly in this first year, teachers will be thinking about how they introduce that to children and which elements they tackle first. So they'll be working very hard to make sure that actually most children aren't aware that there's a huge shift. They'll be working to make sure children can do their best with the opportunities they've been given. And obviously there are concerns, particularly for teachers, where we've got children who might well have struggled with the old test papers now really facing a very difficult challenge. But actually, teachers are very good at getting their children to rise to challenges and, and to present that well for them. So I think teachers are doing a very good job with that at the moment. Are the new standards realistic, would you say? Certainly in the longer term, it will be true to say that more children will end up reaching those standards. I mean, particularly for Key Stage 2, where the children who are currently taking the Year 6 assessments have only been following the new curriculum for two years out of the four in the Key Stage. Over time, as children become more familiar and actually teachers become more familiar with the new curriculum, more of them will reach the expectations that have been set out. I think the real question about whether that's desirable is perhaps the issue is that there's certainly been a shift and the expectations have been ramped up in some areas. And not all teachers, I think, would agree that they're perhaps the areas we need to be focusing. So, for example, with the, the very heavy focus on grammar features, perhaps not being where teachers think the focus should be. But certainly in, in five or six years' time, as children have been through the whole of primary school with that curriculum, will get much better at working towards those standards and they will seem more realistic at least. This is Edgecast from NAHT Edge and we'll come back to Michael before too long. Information on a brilliant forthcoming course is not too far off now. All I'll say at this point is that it's a subject close to every teacher's heart. Time for news now and all the stories of concern to you. The news and information from NAHT Edge. In this bulletin, reception baseline tests abandoned. Government listens to NAHT's call to cancel the Key Stage 1 spelling test. Recommendations on the workload challenge, the verdict from Nicky Morgan. And new guidance on marking pupils' maths books. First, it's news of a U-turn by government, with the DfE confirming the reception baseline won't be used as a starting point to measure pupils' progress. It comes after a study discovered there was insufficient comparability between the three approved methods of baseline assessment. In a statement, the DfE said it would be inappropriate and unfair to schools to use them as a measure. Key Stage 1 will continue to be used as the starting point from which to gauge this year's reception pupils' progress to Key Stage 2, added the department. Schools will have the option to use the reception baseline in the 2016 to 2017 academic year, but the results won't be used for accountability. In response, NAHT Edge Director James Bowen said, It's enormously frustrating that so much time and money has been spent on these assessments, especially when we were clear from the start that multiple baselines would make comparison impossible. Next, pressure from the association following leaked paper leads to gain for schools and pupils. A request from NAHT to free schools from the obligation of using the key stage one spelling, punctuation and grammar test this year has been successful after it was discovered the paper had been leaked online. As a result of the association writing to schools minister Nick Gibb, the government announced it would remove the requirement on schools to administer the test for this year only. Primary school pupils across the country had been due to take the test this month as part of their SATs, but it emerged in the press towards the end of April that the live test paper had been available on the DfE's website for several months and was used by some schools as a practice paper. The school's minister said it was a clearly regrettable incident. 
Education Secretary Nicky Morgan has pledged more support to free up teachers' time by eradicating unnecessary tasks and red tape that impacts the profession. In a recently published statement, the Education Secretary said she agreed with all the recommendations for government made by the Workload Challenge Review Groups, adding, Nothing is more damaging to the profession than wasting the passion and expertise of teachers and school leaders on unnecessary tasks. NAHT General Secretary Russell Hobby pointed to some of the report's good recommendations, but also said, Constant reform leaves staff rushing to keep up and means teachers will spend more and more time on work outside of the classroom. You can read the full reports and further commitments called for by the association on nahtedge.org.uk slash news and views. A bad use of time. That's how new guidance is describing the marking of pupils' maths books in the primary phase. It also suggests teachers in primary schools should prioritise lesson planning over marking. The National Centre for Excellence in the Teaching of Mathematics recommends a potentially less time-consuming method, which would involve teachers highlighting slips briefly, where schools encourage pupils to correct their simple mistakes and addressing errors of understanding via individual or small group explanations or whole-class discussions. Ofsted has been pushing its myth-busting guidance again on Twitter in what seems to be a move to clarify some common misconceptions around the topic of marking, saying it doesn't expect to see a particular colour or frequency when marking pupils' work. With all the Edgecast news, I'm John Peters. And the director of NAHT Edge, James Bowen, has written a blog on marking, time for a different approach. He looks at the growing obsession with deep marking in schools, the issues with this approach, and how a slightly different tactic may save a lot of time and actually improve outcomes for our children. You can find his blog on nahtedge.org.uk. This is Edgecast, and our tweets can be followed at NAHT Edge. Your conversations on social media are always very welcome. Part two of our chat with Michael Tidd is here in a short while. Michael chats about parental reaction to the new assessments and how they may have distorted classroom practice. This month is a fantastic time to book onto our new course, Recruitment and Retention Within the Teaching Profession. In London on the 15th of November, Sue Sales leads this highly engaging session on one of the biggest challenges facing education. The day covers five key areas, beginning with the scale of the problem, right through to how middle leaders can be used to develop others and how they can be grown into senior leaders. It's a chance to explore coaching, mentoring and pick up some brilliant ways to tackle the root causes of the problem. Find out more about this unmissable one-day course by going to nahtedge.org.uk slash your development. Develop your career with NAHT Edge. So let's return to our one-to-one with Michael Tidd. In part two, Michael began by giving his views on how much of a problem it is for teachers not knowing what the pass mark will be in tests. It is a real frustration, um, but... And this is one of those things I certainly have come to terms with over the last year. And in, in some ways can be quite liberating that we, we haven't got this threshold to work towards. So all we can do is teach all of our children as well as we can, which, which in some ways is quite a positive thing. I think the issue has particularly come about um, because local authorities, um, multi-academy trusts, regional schools commissioners are asking schools to make predictions. Um, you know, you've got to provide your data to your RSC to say how many of your children will meet the expected standard. And that's just not feasible. There's no way for a school to know what proportion of its children meet the expected standard because it's very hard to set out what that will be. And I think 
if the DfE and the test setters are saying we can't do that in advance, it's very difficult for schools to be put in that position. So I think if it weren't for all the external accountability demands for data, actually schools would be quite happy with that. The frustration is we're often being asked to demonstrate these things while not being provided the tools to do it, which I think makes it difficult. There is, of course, Michael, talk that the new assessments have distorted classroom practice. Do you believe that's the case then? Inevitably. And I think that's intentional in some cases. Um, the department's been very clear that it feels that there needed to be a shift in math towards recall of number facts and the knowledge of basic number skill. And, and certainly as a mathematician, that's something I, I hold some stead in. So that's been deliberately structured that the assessments enforce that in some ways. I think also there have been some negative implications. So I've mentioned the focus on grammar and writing teacher assessment. That's very much distorted practice. I mean, I know as a year five, six teacher in the coming weeks, my focus is, you know, as much as I want it to be on increasing the quality of children's writing, um, a lot of it is going to be about ticking off the boxes to make sure they demonstrate the things that I know they can do to be assessed in the right way. So I think that's why it's so important. We look at whether the expectations and the assessments we're using are actually desirable in terms of what we want classroom practice to look like. And I think there's still some room for manoeuvre there and hopefully some work to be done. And how have parents been reacting to these changes? Varied, as you'd imagine. I know some are very concerned, particularly, you know, I hear frequently from teachers who've done parents' evening about the new tests and then have parents staring at these test papers and wondering how on earth they'd manage it. And so I think lots of parents, particularly those who are, uh, have children in those exam year groups, are very concerned about the demands and what their children are being asked to do. And actually, we've seen a lot more concern about testing in the last year. I think we've, you know, we've seen the start of a campaign in Key Stage 1. More and more parents concerned that it's having a negative impact on the quality of education. So I think it's, um, there's been a kind of slow burn on that, and more and more parents are getting concerned, I think it's fair to say. Since national curriculum levels were abolished, schools have obviously been left to develop their own assessment systems. What are the opportunities and, I suppose, therefore, the challenges that this approach poses? I've been really keen, actually. I think there are lots of opportunities here. And, and where schools have the courage to take them and the confidence and the freedom to do that, I think it can be really powerful. So I think we've seen lots of the work that came out of the very original National Curriculum Expert Panel Review, which was very good, that explained the background to that. And some of the work of Tim Oates about actually the negative impact of levels was quite a problem. And the freedom to move away from that and to move on to teachers really assessing in the classroom and in practice what children can and can't do and using that to guide their teaching and to further the learning is really effective. Perhaps the biggest part of the challenge is the communication of progress. So I think teachers know very well just from working with children all the time how well their children are doing but it's much harder now to, to provide a nice spreadsheet to show that and I think the issues again are with local authorities or regional schools commissioners asking for demonstrations of progress in a very simplistic numerical way, which is forcing some schools to feel that they've got to go back to that old model of points and levels. And there's still a big conflict there, and unfortunately it's one partly led by the fact that the government have been very clear on one side about moving away from that, and the workload reports have been clear on that, and the Assessment Commission has, but then RSCs and other organisations are not quite keeping up with that change. And I think that's very difficult, particularly for head teachers who want to do the right thing by their teachers and their children, but have the demands of those layers of admin and accountability above them that are causing a real conflict there. That's the big challenge, I think. If you had the ear of government yourself, Michael, if you were advising the government on assessment, what would you be saying to them for next year? 
I think we'll see actually the situation with the testing settling down a little bit. I've got lots of concerns about the teacher assessment framework, and I think that really does need looking at again, particularly that secure fit model that seems very punitive in lots of cases for both schools and individual pupils. And I think the big area that needs to be looked at is how we separate and really drive a wedge between the use of assessment for teaching and learning and development of children and then the accountability measures that go alongside that, because at the moment there's still too much pressure on those very few key pieces of information that mean the focus on accountability is driving too much still. And we definitely need to work on that, I think. Our thanks to Michael Tidd. And NAHT Edge wants to work with its colleagues in NAHT to call for a vision of assessment that's stable, proportionate, coherent and fair. Our tool for this is the pledge. If you haven't signed it yet, and even if you don't want us to do anything, make sure your voice is heard on this important issue. You can find the link to the pledge in the News and View section of NAHT Edge's website. If you're not a member of NAHT Edge, why not join today? We offer tailored services for middle leaders with online advice and resources combined with full trade union protection to give you peace of mind. That is all from Edgecast for now. Remember to visit our website for full information on the course mentioned in this episode, nahtedge.org.uk. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, which means that every episode comes to you automatically, so you're always connected to the best source of information for middle leaders. Thanks for downloading or streaming, and we'll catch up again in June. Have a great month. Edgecast.